0: On this episode of the Heat Check, we're a little late to talk about this Donovan Mitchell trade, but I did have some other pressing business, in which we will get to, where I actually broke the Donovan Mitchell trade to the city of New York, live on the air before anyone else. So, if there was an awesome time to be on WFAN, that was it. Two straight hours of angry... New York fans. We look at the aftermath of the trade. We also get into this new Patrick Beverly, we'll call it a development. He's stirring shit up in LA already, folks. He is now working to change the culture. And we also discuss the latest news from the Eurobasket 2022, an amazing tournament that's not getting enough love and enough shine. So do me a favor, training camp coming so fast. Let's drop that beat. It's a bit late, but unless you've been living under a rock, you are aware now that Donovan Mitchell has been traded. But he's been traded out of nowhere to the Cleveland Cavaliers after months of speculation saying it was a done deal that he'd end up a nick. No, sir. At the very last minute... Left at the altar once again. And the Knicks, according to a ton of sources, still in shock. They are shooketh. So you already know the details. The Knicks creating a, a fake deadline, which we talked about last week, signed RJ Barrett to a hundred and twenty million dollar four-year extension. And the next day, two to, three days later, I guess, Colin Sexton, Lori Marketing, three unprotected firsts, pick swaps to Utah for Donovan Mitchell, and now they have one of the best starting fives in the league. Just like that. And the Knicks, let me tell you this, they are facing a very divided fan base, a very divided front office, and accusations that they're just continuing to be the Knicks. Just Knicks doing Knicks things. Jeff Van Gundy basically summed it up when he told the New York Post, The Knicks have good players, but if you line it up against the competition in the East, this roster is not on the same level. They could shock the world and be a playoff team, but I look at the East and I have to say 8-13 to is where they should be predicted to go. 8-13, to they're not even close to a lock for the play-in. A lot has to go right. I think that's probably right. I think that's probably true but I also have a unique perspective, I think, on this trade. I just so happen to be filling in on WFAN for Carton and Roberts during drive time, the number one show for sports talk radio in New York City, heart and lifeblood of New York sports, the largest sports radio station in the world, right as the Donovan Mitchell trade broke. We're not even at, at break, not even at a commercial, no time for the news update guy. No, no, our producer slacks us. Donovan Mitchell just traded to the Cavs. Go. And it was like, hey, sorry, uh, Gi- Giuseppe from the Bronx. We got to let you go. Uh, I know what you think is really important about the Mets, but we've got some breaking news shit going on right now. Donovan Mitchell's not coming to the Knicks. Literally while we were on, the biggest Knicks news of the year and me and my co-host had to break it to a very excited and then let down fan base. Two hours of calls. Ring, 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 ring. Lots of people wanted to give their perspective. And the entire calls were essentially the spectrum of what the trade meant. Surprisingly, though, I thought a lot more people would be mad. I mean, people were mad, but I thought more people would be mad. It was pretty much 50-50 down the middle. Half the callers were irate, saying this is the Knicks continuing to do what the Knicks do. We're never going to get a star. This is why we can't watch this team. What's wrong with us? Basically the argument that the Knicks are doomed, right? They're they're always going to be terrible. They go into the spiral. They talk about Dolan, who, by the way, for the record, I love. Very musical, very dynamic team owner. And the other half, they're fans of R.J. Barrett. They're fans of Quentin Grimes and the other young players. Plus, they just thought three first-round picks was too much to give up for Donovan Mitchell, an undersized point guard or shooting guard, to go along with their undersized point guard. Fair. And I think there's also... What has gotten missed a little bit is that there's a group of Knicks fans that are like, I'm tired of us just going out and trying to get stars. I just don't think it works for us. We've done it. It's never ended up having some positive effect, maybe hype, but we've never won a title from it. We want to build through the draft. We want to build up young players. We want to get good organically, and then maybe, just maybe, we'll support this squad. And now they have that. For the first time in ages, they've got a they've got the ability to grow a young core only because the Mitchell trade blew up. And mostly now people are dissecting the trade, trying to figure out why the deal fell through, why Donovan ended up in Cleveland. So much conspiracy theories amok. Some people say that Danny Ainge was just so petty, he told Donovan Mitchell, I'm not sending you where you want to go. You've been on this little New York City, uh, like, policy tour you've been kissing babies from the Bronx to Brooklyn to Long Island City you've been at every Knicks you've been at Mets games and Yankee games and Islanders games and Rangers games you know what Donovan fuck you enjoy Cleveland go to a Guardians game how about that I don't know if that's true but it's an amazingly uh, a testament to how amazingly petty the uh, Danny Ainge is the origins may go back though in terms of the bad blood to the first round of the playoffs. Why you say? Well, Knicks executives decided they were going to put their their shoes on the on the hardwood at a playoff game that they had no stake in. Their team had been eliminated, but yet we see Knicks executives courtside for a playoff game. Courtside. Won't even sit just in the, in the nosebleeds, in a box, in the suite, no, no. In the area that the scouts sit, no, no. Courtside, so you see us, and we see you. Why? Because they were simultaneously courting Jalen Brunson, cha-ching, and Donovan Mitchell, cha-ching, at once. Dallas Mavericks played the Utah Jazz in the first round, and oh boy, were the Utah Jazz mad. Zach Lowe said this on his podcast. I've seen some reports that say, well, the Jazz were upset. Donovan Mitchell maybe wasn't all in forever with the Utah, and as punishment, we'll send him to a place he doesn't want to go. Were the Jazz mad? Yes. Was it that the reason that they traded him to Cleveland? Probably not the only reason, but it's a phenomenal, nice little cherry on top. And as an interesting aside to how the deal went down, Gerson Rosas, You may know the name, you may not. Ancillary player in the NBA space, but recently fired from the Timberwolves as a GM for an extramarital affair uh, with someone inside the organization, also uh, accusations of contributing to a toxic work environment. Uh, He was the one responsible for the day-to-day talks of the uh, Knicks and the Jazz. Why, you ask? Well, Leon Rose likes him. He's hired Gerson Roses as a consultant. Apparently, Nick's fans are not too happy about that, I would imagine. But he does have a good relationship with the Jazz. But the problem is there's just too many people who have too many cooks in the kitchen. You've got Leon Rose. You've got World Wide West. Where is he? We don't know. By the way, an amazing side road. I heard that World Wide West... If you meet him, and he's like, hey, do you know Fat Joe? And you're like, yeah, I know Fat Joe. Me and Fat Joe met at a party. And he'd go, okay, really? And you're like, yes, really. And then he'll go, ring, 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 and FaceTime Fat Joe. Fat Joe will answer upon the first ring, because he's fucking World Wide West, how he's so powerful, I need to take a deeper dive. And he'll say, what's up, Fat Joe. And Fat Joe will probably say, what's up, my guy? And he'll say, hey, do you know this guy right here? And presumably, hopefully for you, then Fat Joe will say yes. And then he'll say, what's this guy like? Are they legit? Is he legit? Is, he, is she not legit? Oh, okay, thanks, guy. And then just hang up. Is that not the craziest receipt pulling that you've ever seen? And he does that, like, with everyone. I've never heard of something. Back to the story. So you've got Leon Rose. You've got World Wide West, the receipt puller. You've got Tom Thibodeau in the mix. You've got Scott Perry, who I don't know if anyone still realizes he's there in a GM capacity, but he is. I saw him at Summer League. What does he do? I don't know. Does anyone know? Cap expert? Not sure. But he is still there. And now you've got, on top of all of those guys and the owner who knows So much about basketball that he likes to get involved sometimes as well. Now you've got a consultant, Gerson Rosas. Not a GM, not an assistant GM, not a scout, nothing. A consultant handling the nitty-gritty of maybe one of the most important trades in the last, I don't know, 25 years of Nick's basketball history. What's that saying about too many chefs in the kitchen? Mm, I've been watching The Bear, by the way. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. Chef's kiss, they say. Not surprisingly, there was some disagreement with the Nick C-Squeed over Donovan Mitchell. Some people all in, a.k.a. World Wide West and Fat Joe. By the way, there's Fat Joe contingent as well. Others clearly valued the other assets. Somehow, someway, Quentin Grimes being untouchable. Not Grimes the singer. Quentin Grimes, untouchable. Second year, Quentin Grimes. He's 6'6". He can play some defense, but untouchable in the Donovan Mitchell trade, sir. Some valued R.J. Barrett very highly. They didn't see value in giving up Barrett and the rest of the young guns and three protected, unprotected firsts, so to them, bridge too far. Throw in Trader Danny, the guy that we know likes to fuck every other trade partner. And that's just his MO. That's not my opinion. That is fact. Well, what you get is a complete puff piece. Where? In the Boston Globe, about this deal. Some, when I said, I pulled my Brian Windhorst glasses on when I saw that, I said, why would the Boston Globe do that? Why would they do that? Well, Danny Ainge and his roots to Boston doesn't have a lot of roots with Utah. Also, whatever sort of bargain basement newspaper that they have there in Salt Lake, that's not moving anyone. But the Boston Globe, writing a full-on in-depth article about what went down and how the Knicks missed out on Donovan Mitchell and how it's not Danny Ainge's fault? Come on. With one of the greatest shill journalists in life, Gary Washburn? No way Danny Ainge was responsible for the Knicks' talks breaking down. I was like, hmm. Interesting. Danny Ainge leveraging old relationships to spin a narrative to make himself look better. In terms of Cleveland, because that matters as well, talk about nuts on the table. Talk about big swinging dick Kobe Altman. Holy fuck, I didn't know he had it in him. I didn't know he had laid around in the weeds waiting for the Knicks to do Knicks things get too arrogant, Danny Ainge continue to push back, randoms involved in the trade discussions. They say, you know what, we're out. As soon as R.J. Barrett gets his extension, we're back in. Actually, we'd like to offer you Laurie Marketing, Colin Sexton, and a boatload of picks. How's that work? Done? Done. What a dynamic team they were last year. They add Ricky Rubio again. They've got a healthy Colin Sexton Ideally, they don't have to pay Colin Sexton very much. They've got a bunch of guys who've made the All-Star game recently, as recently as last year, and they said, you know what? East is too stacked. We got to make a move. We got to make a move. I think this makes them a player. I think this makes them, in my opinion, considering that they were somewhere between 3 and 5 last year, all year until Rubio went down with an ACL, and then Jared Allen went down with a finger injury. Before that, they were rolling. Number one defensive team in the league, and now you add a guy who can get you a bucket when things get ugly. You've got him, you've got Garland. I think this makes him better than Philly. Not saying a lot, because Philly added P.J. Tucker. They added some dogs on this team, and I do like Embiid more than pretty much every other center in the league, but goddamn, this is... Cleveland team with multiple all-stars and youth, they really could finish 4 in the what? East, 4 in the East. And I think this also puts us in a different discussion with Kobe Altman. Like this seriously puts you in a new conversation when you come out of the woodwork and you are Cleveland, Ohio and you find a way to get a star from New York who wants to go to New York who's been on a summer tour inside of New York with his shirt off, with a Mets hat on, everything, and you find a way to steal him away from a team who is desperate to get him, that gives a whole new level of respect to you. And people are already saying, which I think actually might be true, is that Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland are a top five backcourt in the NBA now. My top five, Chris Paul and Booker, until Chris Paul is dead, probably soon, Klay Thompson and Steph, until Klay Thompson is dead, which is probably soon. Ja Morant and Desmond Bain, very underrated backcourt. Desmond Bain, I don't need to tell you, but if you forgot, he's one of the best three-point shooters in the league. Even with his little alligator arms, he can still play defense. He's number three. They're number three. Donovan Mitchell, Darius Garland, I think, are number four. And Trey, Trey Young and DeJounte Murray. Two All-Stars along with an All-Star center. Probably the best rookie in the draft last year outside of Scotty Barnes. But people are very high on what Evan Mobley can do. Then you add in Kevin Love, one of the best role players in the league right now alongside Ricky Rubio, the heart and soul of this team. Holy shit. As for the Knicks, this is now a, an exploring year. What do you have? Who is Obi Toppin? Who is Quentin Grimes? Are R.J. Barrett, is R.J. Barrett good? I don't know. Is Jalen Brunson going to get you the 41-point type of performances that he did when Luka was off the floor, or is he closer to the guy we saw at Villanova? Somewhere in between. And we know that Tibbs hates the kids. That's what he does. He hates kids. But he might not have a choice. You might have the screws put on you and say, Listen, Tibbs, it's time for you to play the young guns and to play them from game one to see what we have. But I do know they're not done. I knew, I know that they are sick. I ran in, funnily enough, I ran in to Gerson Rosas and Tom Thibodeau at Summer League. Gerson Rosas, very friendly. Not surprising. Awesome guy. Knew him back in Minnesota. So I asked him what he was up to. And he said, what am I up to? Getting Tibbs some more talent. Boy. Did I not? I had no idea what he when he said that he really meant it. But I tell you what, the priority to get Tibbs more talent was paramount, and this was after the Jalen Brunson deal. So who have they added since? Crickets. No one. Nobody. Am I missing anyone? Nobody. They've extended R.J. Barrett. So it doesn't look like they're going to get more talent in the aftermath of missing out on Donovan Mitchell. We'll see how these youngsters develop, whether Tibbs plays them together, whether Leon Rose and World Wide West, who's FaceTiming everyone, is FaceTiming another star who might be disgruntled. Maybe there's trades up their sleeves in February, but if that was their goal then, I'm pretty confident it's still the case now. So we'll have to see what they end up with closer to February. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. One of my favorite players in the NBA. Great story, grinder, shit talker, extraordinaire. Officially in L.A. Laker, we've talked about that. How is it going to work? We wanted to know. How is he going to assimilate into this very dysfunctional team? We wanted to know. Well, it hasn't taken him long to start rattling some cages. Traded from Minnesota to Utah, then flipped to L.A., At his press conference, a reporter asked him, or Scrum, I guess, asked him, what's it going to be like to play with Braun and AD? His response, what? They're going to be playing with me. I made the playoffs last year. They didn't. That's the difference. Oh, God. Oh, my goodness. If you don't remember, this is the one who stood on the table Like, his name was uh, Jalen Suggs after hitting a half-court shot to go to the national championship game. That was the energy that Pat Bev was bringing to the room. And I get it. The Wolves, this was a play-in game too. This was still one more play-in game to go to get into the playoffs. Jumping on the table, screaming. Some people can't stand Pat Bev. A lot of people can't stand him. But that's because he's actually never played for a team that they root for. Pat Bev, if you are a fan of the team that he's on, you love him. He's a pest. He's a troll, a world-class troll. And over the last five seasons, here's a stat that I did not know until today. He's allowed the second lowest field goal percentage as the closest defender in the entire NBA. Minimum 2,000 shots defended. At 41.9%, only six-tenths of a percentage behind the number one. Who's the number one? Giannis. What? Maybe the most surprising stat in the entire NBA, if you haven't spent too much time evaluating Pat Bev. Maybe Pat Bev should give those stats to Russell Westbrook, because Russell Westbrook, if you remember, threw serious shade at him. And that stat right there, probably one of the least – why one of the least likely people in the league might just be the one to change the culture of the Lakers. And it started not just in that scrum, but pretty much the second he got off the train. In Pat Bev's first huge media availability session, where all the reporters come into a room, there's a desk, there's water, there's cameras, he walks into the room and says, hello, everybody. Chirp, 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 chirp. And just as a quick aside, reporters are miserable. It's probably like 8 a.m. And usually when athletes speak to you, it's just kind of like not real. They don't actually mean anything by it. They just do it. But Pat Bev, when he got Cricket's back, was not having any of that bullshit. No, he was not. So he said it again and said, hello, everybody. And then proceeded as he got up to the podium. This was him walking in the door. As he got to the podium, he decided to school them. On the etiquette of just being a human being. Hey, when it's good, it's morning, we say good morning. When it's night, we say good night. Understand? So, say hello. We're a family, right? Okay, so say hello. Holy shit. And I saw the actual footage of this. Some of the other reporters were taking phone, the phone footage. And one of them responded, sheesh. So, things are getting a little uncomfy already in day two. But the big question is, how were Patrick Beverly and Russell Westbrook going to cohabitate? Because they pretty much hate each other. It dates back to 2013, if you don't remember, when Beverly crashed into Russ's knee, trying to play a swiper in a late April game, and that actually ended Westbrook's season. And I took that personally. Meme. Beef then ensued. Beef then got worse in 2018 in the playoffs when Russ did the whole rock the baby gesture every time that he scored on Pat Bev and Bev then tried to take out his legs. Also, kind of whack that Russell Westbrook did the rock the baby because he did that to Dame too and then Dame sent his ass home. So, fine. Anyway, escalated again in November 2019 when Russ was asked about beverly's d his defense not the other d in a post-game presser and gave us this gem pat beverly trick y'all man like he plays defense he don't guard nobody man he's just running around doing nothing and pat bev waited to respond waited to respond until this last off season when he finally did oh boy In the midst of Russ's famous struggles, banging shot after shot after shot after shot off the side of the backboard, Beverly tweeted, I remember when somebody said, all I do is run around and trick y'all. Well, my boy is the real magician this year. Then to top it off, he tweeted, ain't no fun when the rabbits got the gun. Yikes. And right before he got traded this offseason, Pat Bev went on JJ Reddick's podcast and said that Russ damaged his career. Coaching staffs, players, fans, they look at me way different now, he said. So the first question, obviously, in the presser is not, hey, Pat Bev, how much do you love L.A. now? It's really, what's up with you and Russell Westbrook now that you guys are teammates? Very diplomatic, non-Pat Bev answer. He said, well, I was asked the same question two or three years ago about someone that I always wanted to play with. Russell Westbrook was the first name, a player with that competitive spirit, that fire, that will, that dog, that nastiness. That grit to have a running mate like that, I've never had that. So I'm super excited to see where it goes. You've never had that. You play with Kawhi Leonard. You've never had that. You play with Aunt Edwards. Pause, cue up, and that's a lie. And that is just a lie. Pat Bev, trying to change cultures everywhere that he goes, and in a lot lot of ways, Pat Beverly you could see as like a – A veteran line cook brought in to change a failing restaurant filled with superstar chefs. He's not going to put up with any of their bullshit. He's going to make sure the knives are always sharp, no packets of cigarettes on the oven. He's going to bitch when their stations aren't clean, and he's damn well going to make sure that they're all there for family dinner. He said, Yes, I've been watching the Bear. Back to the Bear, been watching the Bear. Tremendous series. He says this, if you can't have those tough conversations amongst each other ahead of time, you're damn sure not going to be able to have them in front of 20,000 people when the crowd is going against you. So my thing's always been camaraderie, team, team, team. And if you do that and play hard, you just let the dominoes fall wherever they fall from there. And if the Lakers can convince LeBron James and Russell Westbrook to play defense? I don't know. All I know, the Lakers aren't going to be good. We know that. But they did get way, 100% more interesting. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. So it's the off-season for a lot of NBA players, but if you're from Europe, the grind is real. The grind is in full swing. EuroBasket 2022 going on right now, and if you don't know what that is, you probably don't have a favorite European basketball player of note on the team that you root for because it's very, extremely important to them. Think about it as like a World Cup for European hoopers where – Various nations line up and play each other every four years in a tournament, and you've got these group stages, and then you've got a knockout tournament to decide the winner, right? So very similar to soccer. 24 nations line up, and they play five games each in eight days. Then the tourney runs for a week with the top four teams from each of the four groups playing a 16-team tournament to decide the winner. And it's like a winner-go-home, March Madness, single-game elimination thing. Who's the defending champion? I think you know. It's Slovenia. It is. It's Luka. He's the best. Eurobasket, though, great opportunity for NBA fans to watch their favorite players. They very much care about. I want to go in four years from now. I'm going to try to go. I'm going to have a summer of hoops. I'm going to go to all those little janky pro-ams. I'm going to go to Eurobasket. I'm literally just going to take three months for hoops. But how do we know how much people love to watch these people play in a different types of competition, well, just see their reaction when Giannis or Luca skips a game. These people overseas are irate. This is their chance to see not only their favorite player, but their favorite player from their country representing. The nation's collectively meltdown. It's just a huge deal. Fuck the NBA to them. I don't care that you're load managing. It's Eurobasket way more important than an 82-game season and millions and billions of dollars that go for all these fans, all these rights. No, no, no. Eurobasket, most important. This year, all the stars came out, just like the pro Giannis, Luca, Nurkic, Franz Wagner, Mo Wagner, Dennis Schroeder, Alperin Schengen, and a bunch of other NBA players who have all logged significant minutes trying to get their countries into that 16-team finals. There are some storylines that I found fascinating. First and foremost, apparently Giannis, big Greek national team fan, w- w- wants nothing more than to be the defending champ and knock off Slovenia. That is his thing. He loves Eurobasket pretty much as much as anyone. And his brothers do, which is, adds a whole other family environment to it, considering how Giannis came up and what his background and upbringing was. Also very important for him to represent Greece. But according to a recent Athletic article, playing internationally was at one point causing enormous friction between the Bucs, Giannis, and the Greek national team. They were basically saying, listen, we need to shut Giannis down. He can't have access to the same type of staff and trainers that he does in the NBA. We've got our own people. The NBA is like, well, but you guys are basically – not as good as us, you guys are essentially heathens trying to play basketball overseas, we are the best. And every time Giannis sat out, fans went absolutely nuts thinking that there was some sort of conspiracy to steal the Greek national title from Giannis. Fuck the Bucs, they hated it, it was causing Giannis a lot of stress. Is Giannis going to leave the Bucs? Who knows? This was years and years ago, the last Eurobasket cycle. This was before Giannis signed his big extension when there was a lot of speculation about where he would go. That is until Mike Budenholzer decided instead of trying to fight the Greek national team, it might be better for everyone, meaning the Bucks and them keeping on to Giannis, to maybe just lean into it and help support Giannis and the Greek national team however he could. So this Eurobasket, Bud ended up sending over the Milwaukee Bucks lead trainer, He gave the Greek national team access to all of the advanced analytics that the Milwaukee Bucks use, sent an entire support staff to make sure that Giannis, not only Giannis had everything that he wanted, but all of the resources that were available to Giannis for the Bucks were also available to the Greek national team. Yeah, I mean, that, I would say, is a big win. There was a time... When he seemed open to go to another market, like I said, and I don't know necessarily what would have happened if it wasn't for Budenholzer saying, okay, Maya Copa, let's have some sort of collaboration here. But if they had continued to be dicks, I'm guessing over time with his brothers and his family involved, it's like, Giannis, why you play for these assholes? Just go somewhere else. Every other team will be more accommodating to you. And now they don't have to worry about that. The Bucks now are deeply embedded in the Greek national team. means he's probably never leaving as long as they're connected. It's basically one and the same. You create this corporate corporation, a faceless, nameless corporation, and then you embed them and give them resources into your tribe, into the place that you come from, the place that you pound your chest for, and what you have is forced loyalty, essentially. Pretty much as much team security as you can get. And the number one thing for a coach, keeping your superstar help, happy. So Bud's probably not a great coach, X's and O's. I've seen him scribble on the whiteboard before, and I don't think he was actually writing anything down other than, like, go Giannis, go. But in terms of this decision, elite, elite. And by all accounts, Giannis is very, very happy. Also, Also, by the way, Greeks' runaway win over Estonia today. Giannis, who was averaging 30 points a game, suffered an ankle injury in the third quarter. Originally looked like a knee injury, and I bet someone on the Bucs staff is watching the game. They probably fainted, but fortunately, turns out not to be a big deal. But this is the kind of thing that an NBA team wants to avoid by all costs. Moving on, Luka, another superstar player who is balling at Eurobasket for Slovenia. In a huge game against star studded France with Fournier and Go-bo- Gobert and a bunch of other NBA players, Luca just disgusting. He's just on another level right now. He went off. I mean, off, off, ham on France. And you know, Luca doesn't. I think somebody called it the most Luca LOL game that there is. Like he's just clowning. 47 points on 15 to 23 shooting, seven rebounds. Five assists for good measure as Slovenia beat France 88-82. It was the second most points ever scored by a single player in Eurobasket history behind some Belgian dude named Eddie Terris. Don't know him. Who had 68 in 1957 against Albania. If you know him, you're a nerd. Folks, France, the silver medalist in the last Olympics is no Albania. It's just not. They're not. After the game, people absolutely speechless their coach alexander sakulich summed it up best luca had a great night he spoils us so much we think this is normal folks this is not normal not normal is probably the best way to describe luca he's what six eight two something we don't know how much he weighs right now because he's in skinny mode but he was over 250 pounds he handles the rock like james Harden. He can shoot as far out as Steph. He is just not a normal human being. But it being Europe, we can't have an international tournament without an international incident. This one involved Turkey, not the deli meat, and Georgia, not the state where Atlanta is, and NBA players Furkan Korkmaz from the Sixers and Goga Gogi Batatsi from the Pacers. There is beef over these two nations right now, over the fact... Well, it's kind of Russia, if we want to, like, really, like, sum it up. But there's beef between the two nations over the fact that Turkey, kind of, but not really, actually claims to be part of Georgian territory, but they're historically Turkish. Nothing gets the Euros more up in arms than a good old-fashioned, like, border dispute. Just ask the Ukrainians. So there's some simmering bad blood... That the Ukrainian war is not helping right now, the whole part of the world is slightly on edge. You add that to the fact that now Russia is cutting off all of their oil exports around Europe, uh, people are a little upset. During a Eurogat, but here, here's just what happened. So during the Eurobasket game between the two teams, a Turkish player, Firkman Korkmaz, took a hard foul from Duda Sanazi who played at UCSD in college. Beef then escalates, ends with Moss kind of headbutting Sanadzi and getting booted from the game. But that is just the beginning. According to Moss, as soon as we walked out of the tunnel and was trying to reach the locker room, I see three Georgian players alongside two security guys running at us. We started throwing punches at each other like a street fight. There was no talk. There was no conversation. He literally got jumped by three Georgian players who he had already beefed with on the court and Goga, Gogi Batazzi, another NBA player, and by the way, the police. The security is involved, not to break it up, but to beat the shit out of Moss. If you've watched Moss in late-game situations for the Philadelphia 76ers and you're a fan, you can understand why that might be the case, why that might be something fans, players want to do. He does not come up clutch. Horrible jump shot. Of course, there's a second side to the story. Senatsi said, in presumably a, what, me, voice, there were a couple of words said from him and from us. Then we met each other, but the security was, uh, you know, trying to be between us. Even if we tried to fight, we couldn't have done it uh, because there were people between us. It was like kind of a brawl. Hold on, pause. So was there a fight or was there not a fight? Because even if you did did want to fight, you couldn't. But it was also kind of a brawl. A brawl is worse than a fight, by the way. I don't think anyone punched or slapped each other. He said there were some swings going on, but I don't think anyone got injured. This is like what Draymond tried to say to me in the finals. When him and Drake had that little thing And I was like hey what was that scuffle all about And he's like I don't think it was really a scuffle Because I didn't hit him and he didn't hit me It's like yo hold on calm down What actually happened Not sure you can have kind of a brawl And not have anyone get punched But here we are And of course everyone's got opinions Turkey threatened to leave the tournament Because 22 seconds mysteriously got run off the clock In a game that went two overtimes Turkey lost by the way Georgia claimed ignorance, like, what? We didn't mean to do that. What? No no brawl. No 22 seconds. We, we know nothing of this. Then, former NBA and current Turkish Basketball Federation President Hidu Turkulu said this. It should be questioned that an institution like FIBA gives the Eurobasket organization to third-world countries like Georgia. Let me just say that again. Former NBA player current Turkish Basketball Federation president, Turkaloo Hito Turkaloo, like one of the nicest guys, just straight throwing shade at Georgia, basically being, well, we give these peasants an opportunity to be in the FIBA. What do you think happens? These scallywags? They fucking don't play by the rules. He says, it should be questioned that an institution like FIBA gives the Eurobasket organization to third-world countries like Georgia, if they are thinking that this is a provocation, why don't they show the cameras to the public? Oh, yeah. By the way, camera footage? Also, like the 22 seconds on the, on the clock, mysteriously gone. Gone. And by the way, calling another country a third-world country, probably sure going to go over really, really well in the climate of former Soviet republics. Like, probably... Probably something everyone's going to be very calm and rational over. Basically called them, like, European hillbillies. Good thing we have FIBA here to step in and calm the waters. What did FIBA say? Neither Ottoman, Corkmoss or Sanatsi will be suspended in light of their ejections from Sunday's game. So nothing. Thanks. For nothing. This is why we like the Eurobasket, because it would be like if we had the malice in the palace and nothing happened. It was like, what? Yeah. meta world peace, run our test, nothing's going to happen. He will not be suspended. He will be back out there tomorrow. With group play now finished, you still have a 16-team tournament to watch over the next 10 days. Do not miss it. Stuff is going to happen. It's going to do until the NBA season gets here. I was literally debating today. This is how bad it is. I was literally debating a friend today. Who would you rather have, Laurie Markkinen or Patrick Williams? Two midi of the middiest players. No one cares about them. Why do I care? Because the season needs to come around. The season can't get here too soon. That's all the time that we have for the Heat Check. We'll be back next week with a new episode. Finally, featuring the latest long awaited interview with Toronto Raptors coach Nick Nurse. I promise I'm also going to Canada, so it's a perfect time to drop it. As a final reminder, both parts of the Jerry West interview are now up on the Heat Check feed. Check those out if you haven't and follow the Heat Check as we get ready for the 2022 2023 season. Do not forget to download, do not forget to subscribe, and please tell your friends about the podcast and follow us on social at, at This Heat Check and at Trista Crick on TikTok. See you guys next week.